You, the authentic man, live by a code, take bold action, and pass on a legacy. Your life is a combination of courage, initiative, gratitude, strength, loyalty, toughness, persistence, and dedication. Yours are the shoulders on which every great civilization has been built. You're a model of integrity, a walking moral compass, and unyielding warrior for truth. Envied by the weak, average, and selfish, you stand alone as the one indispensable ingredient to a great society. You are the authentic masculine man. Welcome to the Atomic Masculinity Podcast, where we bring you conversations with men of purpose and impact. I'm Chris Hogan, the host and founder of this podcast and the Atomic Masculinity Movement, which I hope you'll join because the stakes are high. Your country, your kids, and your grandkids. If you're a regular warrior, welcome back, and you know what we're all about. If you're new to the podcast, we're pumped up to have you with us, and you should know our goal is to restore American masculinity to its proper role in this society, and that's accomplished by men becoming better men. We want you to live with purpose, build influence, and create your own legacy, and we want to be an asset to you in this journey. Now, before we get started, I'd like you to consider joining the Atomic Masculinity War Room. It is our weekly signature coaching service designed to weaponize you. It's one of the most powerful investments you'll ever make in the one thing you have that affects everything else in your life, you. Check out the War Room at AtomicMasculinity.com. Okay, our guest today is former Dallas Cowboy linebacker Dat Wynn. Dat lived most of his childhood in the Gulf Coast town of Rockport, Texas. At Rockport Fulton High School, home of the Pirates, he played middle linebacker and Little known fact, he was All-State as a punter as well. He was recruited and received scholarship offers from several Power 5 schools, but eventually decided to play closer to home and chose Texas A&M University, where he played from 95 to 1998. A&M was most assuredly the best place Dak could have picked because his Aggie career was legendary. He finished his college career as the Aggies' career record holder with 51 consecutive starts, 517 career tackles, and almost 11 tackles per game average. Now, the 517 career tackles are still a Texas A&M record. He's the only Aggie to ever lead the school in tackles for four consecutive years. In 1995, he was named Southwest Conference Defensive Newcomer of the Year, and from 96 to 98, he earned first-team All-Big 12 honors three consecutive times. In 97, he was named Aggies MVP, but 1998 was his epic year. He was n- named Consensus All-American by every awarding publication, won the Bednarik Award for College Defensive Player of the Year, and the Lombardi Award. He was named Defensive Player of the Game for the 98 Cotton Bowl after recording a bowl record 12 tackles, including three tackles for a loss and an interception, which he lateraled to a teammate for a touchdown. I remember watching that game. The Dallas Morning News named him Big 12 Male Athlete of the Year in 98, and he earned Defensive Player of the Year honors in the Big 12 Conference. He also won the Jack Lambert Award that year. And that same year, A&M won the Big 12 Championship game against Kansas State uh, for a conference title. In 2005, he was named to the Big 12's conference 10th anniversary team. Wynn is generally acknowledged as the best defensive player in Texas A&M football history and one of the greatest defensive players of all time in the history of the Big 12. In 2004, he was inducted into the Texas A&M Athletics Hall of Fame, and in April 2007, Dat was inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame and the Cotton Bowl Hall of Fame. On January 9th, 2017, the National Football Foundation announced that he would be elected to the College Football Hall of Fame. Had a pretty impressive class with him, including Peyton Manning, Adrian Peterson, Marshall Falk, Steve Spurrier, and Brian Erlacher. He played professionally, obviously, for the Dallas Cowboys from 1999 to 2005. And this is pretty cool. He became the first Vietnamese American to be drafted, play, and recognized as an All-Pro in the National Football League. He led the Cowboys in tackles three times in 2001, 2003, and 2004. I'm pumped up to be interviewing Datwin today on the Atomic Masculinity Podcast. Okay, Dat, thanks for being with us today. I sure appreciate it. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Coach. 
Yes, sir. So let's start with, I've, I've done the introduction, uh, so people know kind of your past and uh, your plan at Texas A&M and in the league for the Cowboys and just the whole, that whole story um, is really cool. But we want to know foundationally, tell me about where you were born, you know, your growing up time, your early life. Yeah, so I was born at a refugee camp in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. So it was the fall of Saigon in April 25th, 1975. My parents left Vietnam. Mom was uh, five and a half months pregnant with myself, mm. coming over and leaving everything. Uh, Dad was fortunate to afford a radio uh, during that time to listen to what was going on from the north uh, as the North Viet Cong, the Viet Cong was invading the South, and uh, we fortunately got out. And um, you know, I have I have five other siblings, and uh, we left everything. And my dad was fortunate to coordinate and orchestra a um, a way to escape with some of our family members as well. So there's up to about 50 people that uh, were oh, on wow. the boat to get out, and we left. And uh, we were fortunate um, to be able to come to america and i think we we settled a little bit at uh camp bennington mm. in um in uh, san diego camp bennington and then uh, we finally flew to fort chaffee and that's where i was born so i was a refugee camp uh, born and all the vietnamese that came over america was that's one of the camp in oh. arkansas wow yeah so um pretty amazing story really yeah, we don't have many guests that yeah. say I was born <laughs> in a refugee camp. That's that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, what's I was uh, fast forward to this, I guess two years ago, I was inducted into the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. Yep. And uh, another recipient was uh, Lovey Smith, Coach Smith, who was right. at the Bears and obviously came from Big Sandy. Big Sandy out Big in Sa East Texas. <laughs> that's right. So uh, what is an amazing story? Um, his wife was at Ohio State. And uh, in 1998, we played Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl. Hmm. And um, her dad and her went to the game, and she was tearing up telling me the story. I didn't know where she was going because this is the first time I really met her. Mm -hmm. And she goes, they were watching the game, and they looked out there where Texas A&M was playing Ohio State at the Sugar Bowl, and he said, that was one of ours. And she kept looking over. It's like, Dad, what are you talking about? He said, he's one of ours. He was a supervisor of the Fort Chaffee Oh, my goodness. Camp when wow. we came over from Vietnam. Wow. That's <laughs> unbelievable. God, small world. Yes, it was. Yeah. Wow. So watching that baby born in that refugee camp, flying around tackling Hawkeyes. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, it was pretty neat. I was, um, I was very touching. Uh, unfortunately, he passed a few years ago. Right. But she was sharing that story, and it was she, she said, golly, it was one of his proud moments wow. that uh, when he was watching that game. It's amazing how God puts people in certain positions and who they can affect. You never know. Yes. You never know who you're touching mm -hmm. or what they're going to be or what their kids are going to be. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So you grew up where? Where were you? Where'd you guys live when you were young? So I, we lived in a small town of Rockport, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, down to the Gulf Coast. Uh, we moved a little places here and there. When we left Fort Chaffee, went to Kamazoo, Michigan, and uh, uh, the uh, I said Catholic Charities of America took us in and uh, gave us a job. My dad worked at the church, and uh, mom was at home with the kids. Uh, I remember, uh, I didn't remember much then, but we felt, finally settled in Rockport, and, and I can tell you it's kind of funny or ironically how God does work. And mm -hmm. when I was getting recruited out of high school, uh, my senior year, which we, you know, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have all this social media stuff now. I was a late bloomer. I, I didn't get recruited till my senior year. That Christmas. Wow. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, so we didn't, yeah. Playing. I was done playing. And uh, it was December the 1st when the head coach could be at your house and um, knock on the door. I was like, well, we opened the door and it's Gary Mulder, the head coach from the University of Michigan at your door, wow. 3,000 miles away. So I was like, wow, amazing. So all of a sudden it kind of steamrolled the, the recruiting process because why did Michigan come down to South Texas to find this guy? Da, 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 da. So now everybody has to look at now you. Now everybody has to look at me. Yeah, that's, uh, you understand this, how it works. And so I flew to Michigan nine days after that, December 10th, uh, flew into Michigan. First time I flew in a plane, first time I saw snow, first time I ate lobster. Wow. I was like, man, I'm coming here. It's world. <laughs> <laughs> saw the Fab Five play and, right. and uh, it was pretty phenomenal. And, um, and and I remember coming back, and I was like, God, why people Michigan, people Michigan was so nice. They were so kind. And I was like, Mom and Dad, why, 
why did uh, we leave Michigan? Mm. And uh, my dad looked at me and he's like, son, we South Asian people. We don't like that cold weather. <laughs> Doesn't fit where we came from. Yeah, there's a reason we don't see yeah. snow. Rockport's down there. Yes, it's down south. It's with the oh, stripping yeah. business, uh, stripping industry. That's what we. Yeah. That's what we did in Vietnam. So uh, oh, our family wow. was down south. And now is that what your dad did? We did that, yes, sir. We saw all of us. Um, you say we, so this is a family. Family. Deal. So it's a family, not just. It's a, it's very similar to the his, the Hispanic culture. Mikasa, Mukasa, everything we did. Right. So when we came from um, Kalamazoo to Rockport or to Fulton, which is a small town connected to Rockport, we were living in government housing. Oh, and, wow. uh, and there was, I guess, uh, three families, four families got together and we had a shrimp boat, they, an 18, 18 foot shrimp boat. And all of us worked together and then we distributed the, the profits. And then as we grew, when as we got better, or to get more in, entwined of what they were doing, they uh, were able to have their own shrimp boat. So that's how we grew, and that's what mm. we did for, for businesses and for a living wow. for many, many years down there on the Gulf Coast. Wow, Rockport Fulton. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Home of the Pirates. Home of the Pirates, yes, sir. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah, I, think, I think on a district uh, down there, I think we had uh, four or five teams back then. I think three of them were pirates. <laughs> Everybody was a pirate. You're down there on the Gulf Coast. And that's a, that's a very noble thing to do, right? Be a pirate. So you're, um, you, how, did the, how did you end up at A&M? If Michigan was first, yeah. well, tell me that story. So, so, this, this, so we, I flew to Michigan, and then I, was like, I came back, and I was like, wow, we're gonna have, we have five trips. So the, they pay for all five trips to go wherever you want to go. And then all of a sudden, UCLA called me and said, we're like, well, I've never been to the West Coast. Let's get on a plane. So I flew in a plane, saw sunshines and palm trees, and ate lobster. And I was like, man, what's going on? What's a common denominator here? Right. So uh, I decided to go to the University of Texas uh, to visit. Uh, I ate way, way too much of um, Earl Campbell sausages. Earl Campbell, yeah. that's right. That's right. Uh, and then uh, I had two visits left. One was to Notre Dame, and the other one was um, – to um to A&M and uh, Notre Dame uh found out that um they signed or they had a, a lot of guys committed a linebacker and um so I decided well there's not gonna have an opportunity there then I decided I went to A&M and A&M felt like home and uh it's kind of funny where what do you mean it felt like home like it the felt people? like a people small town and I was like well I'm I'm not 3,000 miles away if I don't play the game of football guess what I can still drive home it's only three hours away from right. uh, from Rockport, so uh, I went there, and and you know what? It's um, I can tell you, I liked the place, and I liked all the places I went to, but I remember it was at 17 years old. He had all these pressure, like, God, where are you going? What what do you do? Mm. You had to make a lifetime decision. Where are you gonna be for the next four or five years of your life? And I was like, well, my parents didn't speak much English, so they weren't really a supporter. They pretty much, hey, you go where you want to go, where you feel right. comfortable. So uh, I um, I remember going to sleep the night before and I say, God, help me. Mm. Help me really clear my mind and, and the first word comes out of my mouth, that's where I'm going to go to school. And um, I said, I can still remember I had a small room. God, my room was only six by three of that. I had a little office room, basically it wasn't off, but dad's mm. office made into a room. And uh, I was remembering that laying there going to sleep and then when I woke up that morning, I was like, Aguiland, here we come. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, so that's how it came wow. because it was just like there was so much stuff. Phone was ringing six in the morning till ten at night. Yeah. Uh, parents, mom, you know, I think I don't know. Sometimes they hung up on coaches. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Talking to parents, it was just overwhelming. And um, during that time, uh, it was just because it was so late in the recruiting process. Mm -hmm. Now everything was kind of superseding. It was so fast, and. Um, so when I decided to make that decision, I, I felt comfortable, felt good. Mm. And uh, that's how I got to Texas A&M. And, you know, it's a crazy story because when I got to A&M, I didn't realize, you know, we didn't have Facebook, Twitter, right. all the social media. So you didn't know who all really signed. Right. I uh, knew there was 25 players, 24 players that we signed. And, and I can tell you, I got up there and there was five linebackers that signed. Mm. I was one of the five. And I was like, whoa. And we called ourselves the Fab Five. And then I really looked at the reality. I was like, 
we play this famous wrecking crew defense. Uh-huh. It's a three four. There's only three four defense. on the field. There's, a, there's only four. Somebody's gonna be an odd man out. So uh, yeah. unfortunately, um, I was the odd man out. The best thing that happened, really, the best thing that had happened to me during that time was I had a red shirt. It allowed me to grow, allowed me to understand. And I could did tell the you, other four red shirt. They they all played. They all played, and I was the they only played one. As freshmen. They played as true freshmen. Wow. Yeah. So Warwick Holman played, and then he broke his thumb, I think, right uh, before conference. So he was allowed to sit out another year. So, uh, But all four of those guys played. I didn't play, and I was miserable because I thought I was a big man on campus. You know, if, during the recruiting process, people feed you all the stuff that you know, oh, good, sure. how great you were. So I show up to A&M, and you know, I was overweight. I wasn't really prepared. I, I didn't know what to expect. So I wanted to – I wanted to leave A&M. Sure. Right? I wanted to quit. I wanted to. I had doubts. I was like, man, where can I ever play? Uh, so I went back home, and um, one of my high school coach was uh, Cliff Davis. You might remember this coach. Uh, he he played at A&M. He played for Bear Bryant and played baseball. Mm-hmm. So he played a two-sport sure. uh, at A&M, and he went to play baseball for the Colt 45. Wow. <laughs> so he was wow. in that organization, became the Houston Astros. So he was there for over 20 years in that organization. Mm. So he came out to be our, our high school, junior high coach. And uh, I talked to him all the time. I still talk to him today. Uh, he's a guy I kind of bounce ideas off. And oh, he's one of, one of the big mentor of my life. And, and he said one thing that really determined the whole thing of me going back to A&M. He goes, Dad, you ain't going to play when you're 40 years old. Right. Get the degree. They're paying for it. Take that. Make school number one priority. Hey, athletic, me too. You never know when you're twisting an ankle. You never know when you get hurt. Mm-hmm. So I go back. I re- reorganize my priorities. And uh, academic was one. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, and football was two. And I said, all I want, coach, was that just to give me a chance to maybe start my last year. I'll back up that one of those freshmen that came in with me for the next three years in my last year maybe. Uh, start my last year or contribute as I go through my career. I just want to play, represent the Vietnamese community, fan from a family, South Texas or right. Rockport. Right. You know, because you're first, a kind of first or second Asian player or Vietnamese descent that played collegiate or Division One football. Right. So um, I worked myself all the way up to be a backup. I went to spring ball. I had a great spring. Da, da, da. Phil Bennett came in, who's now he was a defensive coordinator at A&M, and sure. he played at A&M and. And I was a backup leading up to that game, LSU opening game of the twenty of nineteen ninety five season. I was um, it was a Wednesday, and uh, the guy that was in front of me, and we were all working out. And right after practice, R.C. Slocum goes, "Hey, we got to run sprints. Get in line." So we got in line. We ran sprints. The guy that was starting in front of me steps on a sprinkler head. Oh my gosh! Can't play. Guess who had to start? Mm. That's how my career started. Mm, and then you got on the field and they couldn't get you I, off. I was like, I, I worked so hard, coach. I, I remember when I reorganized my priorities, 6 o'clock in the morning, I was, on, I was working out. 8 o'clock, I went to class. Came back at 12 and worked out. Came back at 4 with the team. So three times a day, I was like, hey, just give me a chance. I'm going to mm-hmm. work, I'm going to work, I'm going to work on my crafts. It's just like a carpenter, right? You pick sure, out a tool absolutely. and then you just sharpen what you need to sharpen and you never know when it's going to be in. And that's how my career started mm-hmm. was a guy. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, that there's an old saying that when the opportunity arrives, it's too late to prepare. Yes. And so what happens is you've been preparing, preparing three times a day. The guy steps on a sprinkler head. Of course, there's no such thing as luck. However, luck favors those who are prepared. Yeah. It's right. It's an interesting, yeah, so, interesting dynamic. So uh, your parents were really pumped up when they found out your college would be paid for. <laughs> I'm guessing. I, I think they're still waiting for the, the, the tuition bill. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know, because they put my sister. So two of my sister went through college, and I remember going through the process. And and uh, when we signed with A&M, and it's like, what do you mean they're paying for your school? Why would they for? Why would they pay for you to play sports? I know how expensive to to go through college and put mm-hmm. your sister through college. Did you tell them because this is America? Yeah, no, they didn't understand. So they didn't know anything about sports. <laughs> so my high school career coach, two games they went to, junior oh, wow. and senior year parents' night. 
Oh, wow. And I can remember my senior year. My dad stayed a little bit long. He might stay to the first quarter because I kind of look up the bench and he was still sitting there and then he left mm-hmm. after, after my halftime. But, <laughs> but they didn't understand the game. Right. And, um, or even why everybody's doing why it. Why he's doing it. Yeah. And why would, you know, it, they don't understand the business side of it also of, of um, you know, athletic sports or, or team sports right. at the collegiate level. So funny story, mom, so we – so my whole freshman 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 year freshman freshman year we played I started and and we played rice on a Thursday I think late in um, October and it was a Thursday night ESPN game right and uh, mom got to the game mm. and then after the game um, they allow us to go back to school on that Friday and say hey coach Slocum go you guys are off this weekend I need you to come back Sunday at this time for tutoring or whatever it is and a study hall and um, so after the game on Thursday, kissed mom, and we went back to the school, and I came back to to Rockport uh, that Saturday. And uh, I remember sitting there just talking to her. You know, just, I don't get to see her much. You're having a good meal, and then she looks over. She goes, hey, why, why is the quarterback doing this? And, and, and why is the running back doing that? I was like, how do you not know anything about the game? And yeah. now you're asking me about all this stuff about yeah. why they're doing this and why they shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. I was like, now she become she become a, a – a, uh, a fan. Uh, fa- a fan and also a a uh, a Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's awesome though. Yeah. I love that. But they, they but but sports like football had really gave them another avenue. When I was playing college and professionally, they were gatherings. You know, Absolutely. we we we'd get together and and that's another topic to talk about. And mm-hmm. you know, even now I've been out for oh, 10 years, twelve years now, and. They still watch the game on Sunday. It becomes like a tradition yep. for them, which Absolutely. they never had before. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, tradition's powerful. Yes. So how did you um, – so we're talking – this is the Atomic Masculinity Podcast. Yes. And that's what we're targeting, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your growth as a man. It sounds like to me that, hey, I think I might want to quit, and you have a talk with a mentor, and he said, talk some sense into you. That that right there was part of your man building, no doubt. No, yes. No, I mean, because you came back and what did what? Went to work. Mm-hmm. Probably at a different level than you previously had been. Yeah, no doubt about that. I think it's just a lot of times when you go to that and, and you had adversity, you had doubts, it's easy to take the easy path, it's easy to quit, it's easy to give up. Um, I think it really shows that, hey, what do you really want? The opportunity mm-hmm. that you have. Absolutely. And, and for you to... Do what you do or have a chance to do it. Even even if I didn't have a chance to pursue or had a great career at AM, I think it taught me to never give up and never Absolutely. to give in. And um, things are not always gonna be pretty. Things are not gonna be easy. If it's easy, everybody will be doing it. That's right. You know, man, being a father or being being a role model, mm-hmm. it's not easy. You you're gonna you're gonna get attacked all different angles. And when you do something wrong or you're not in the right position or you're doing something that perception thinks you're not doing, guess what? It's gonna get exposed. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, the easy path is always dangerous. Yes, it is always dangerous. <laughs> so true. Yeah, and but you know, you get attacked though if you if you stand for something firmly and you're attacking it and approaching it. The values are always attacked. Mm-hmm. Always. Yes, sir. And so when you were in there busting your butt three times a day, I can see people at A and M on your football team looking at you questioning all oh, this guys he's trying to get in front of the coaches mm-hmm, and immediately mm-hmm. under attack by doing what's right yes it's just the way it is yeah and then and it's just a sad it's just part of i think human and that's how yes. human <laughs> you, you yes. know we're so quick i think as human not not just saying a judgment obviously it is but it's just comparing i think comparing that's is right. the thief of joy but really comparing and making judgment mm-hmm. it's really that's where we at and and it's hard, and and I and we try to emphasize, and all the time it's like, hey, don't don't compare and don't judge, and and, and it's hard to say that, but you don't you really think about it, yeah, you lose so much of that joy, and and as as you're right, so everybody's competitive, everybody's there, and 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 I think if if you are not, if your mindset is not clear, and and your vision is not clear, I think it's easy to take those veer off absolutely the bible says when the vision's not clear the people die yes yeah Yeah. and and i i have this saying we do coaching clinics and some of my coaching uh stuff that we do with game changer i like to tell ceos and presidents if you make the vision clear the price is then easy 
You know, pe- yes. people know what's mm-hmm. going on. They'll mm-hmm. pay any price. Yes. I mean, why else would you go lift three times a day or do whatever you're doing? Because you had a vision. So that price wasn't that bad Mm-mm. compared to with that vision. You mentioned something about uh, it's a temptation to take the easy way. There's a thing that I call spiritual gravity, and it's always pulling Contact. down. It's much easier to take the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like water. Mm-hmm. But water always up ends up in the lowest spot. spot. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what that reminds me of when you're talking about um, – our thing. So what role, what were the roles that, not the roles, I'm sorry, bad question. What were the attributes, characteristics that you learned about being a man specifically from your dad? What things did he do that you looked at and that you could admire and emulate and you think back on now? Yeah, I go back coaching throughout my career, throughout my life. Um, obviously, dad's number one, the most impact person in my life, mom's two, and then I think from 18 to 20. It's all coaches. And, and, and for my father, um, what he did, uh, you go back, uh, as we stated earlier, the story that I share about him leaving his mainland mm. to a place where you don't know what's going to happen or you don't even know you're going to live the next day. And and to have that leap of faith, to have that strong faith uh, of what he did. He wasn't a man of many words. You know, he, has a, he was a visionary. But he was one of those guys that, hey, we just plug along. And you know, but he took decisive action. It's not, yes. I mean, he said, we're going. We're, and we're going. And and I didn't tell you the whole story, though. We were going. We were supposed to connect with the American ship out in the sea. But the Vietcom was shooting at us with grenades and guns that the American ship backed off. And we were mm. stuck in sea, in the Chinese sea, for for six, seven days before oh. we got we got, got into the land, in wow. Thailand. So... Yeah, and, and I think that's who my dad, the way he carried himself, uh, the way he really just how he acted uh, and, and how he treated people. Mm. And I think that's more than anything. He was, we didn't know this till he passed. He passed a few years back. It'll be really be two years here coming up April uh, for him. Oh, end of April, here we are because uh, we're going down there this weekend to celebrate his, um, his um, leaving this earth the last two years. But, um, but he was always doing things for other people that nobody, you know, the Bible was like, hey, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and he was big on that because he's sending money back to Vietnam, building churches in Vietnam. People don't know because wow. uh, the Viet Cong was taking over and they said, hey, it's going to be Buddhist and there's no Christianity. Right. That's the reason why we left because we weren't going to have Jesus in our life. Right. And my dad said, hey, we're going to have Jesus in our kids' life and our family. And we don't have that. We're going to find a way to wherever he's going to let us go. And, wow. and that's why he left was the reason for us to have Christianity in our life or to have Jesus Christ. So so he goes back, and when he passed this past two years, I guess you, you find out so much more stuff when when the person leaves you and go go home to the Lord. And, mm. and you know, it's I remember when I turned 18, and my sister shared the story, which was kind of funny. She's, she's in her 50s. She was funny. I turned 18 years old. Dad said, you give me $50 Every month. Never told us why. Wow. So every month, hey, we got to give him $50, $50. Hey, if, it, <laughs> if you have more money, you give him beforehand, whatever it is. So all that money he was accumulating goes back to Vietnam. And they're building church underground. And now they're building regular. Now they're allowed to have church back in Vietnam. Wow. So it's pretty, you know, the impact that he made was pretty significant. Where it was, it was kind of a remarkable. Uh, it is life, remarkable. That is remarkable yeah. to be the dude who packs everybody <laughs> on a boat and says, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, wow. You know, it's interesting. You said that he, he didn't talk a lot, but he was always doing, doing, doing. Yes. And see, that's evident to me why he raised kids like you, mm-hmm. because habits are caught a lot more than they're taught. Yes. <laughs> that's it. Yes, sir. It's very easy to watch somebody do the to right thing. thing. And it's, it's much harder to, formulate the why in your head. And I also like this. I like his security in himself. He didn't even tell you why. He said, just give me give 50 me, bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And you know, and he built something into his kids because you didn't question it. Did no. You? So now we do it ourselves. Like our, our brothers and our sisters is what we do to our kids. And when our mm. kid turns 18, guess what? Hey, I need $50. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? It becomes a, just like what we talked about, how tradition and, and it, that's it, awesome. Yeah. I so absolutely my, love that. Yeah. So my brothers, my older sister have an older kids. So that's what they do. And they can, they continue his tradition. 
um, or his legacy. Wow. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. And that's exactly what it is. It's a legacy. Yeah. So one of the foundations of atomic masculinity, there's there's four, okay? Mm-hmm. And the, th- the fourth one is legacy. It's code, relationship, action, and legacy. Wow. You live they by live code, by, mm-hmm. and the world works by relationships. You got to take action Actions. and leave a legacy. Yeah. That is our definition of atomic masculinity, and mm. that, that was your dad, yeah. what it sounds like. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty awesome. Now, I noticed something else that I want our listeners to hear. Your dad was a major influence. And by the way, I did not know, we did not talk about this previous. So I didn't know he was number one influence. Mom was number two. I didn't know. And you said number three were coaches from 18 to whatever. Now, I want everybody to understand the coaches were not the biggest influence on dad's life because they were in charge of him. I think they were because they were adult males Mm -hmm. with a very specific mission. Mm -hmm. Listen, that is attractive to your kids. If you'll be an adult male with a very specific mission, your kids will follow you anywhere. Yes, sir. They run through a brick wall for you, you know, and, and, and the coaches and, and it's amazing. Like the influence, the the three to the 20 for me, my list, the top 20 people that influenced my life, you know, the, the, Three to twenty are coaches, but every coaches is different. It doesn't matter. I can, I had coaches in junior high that had, that that made impact on my life of how they treat their wife, how they were there for their kids, and how they, you know, certain age and you go through steps. Uh, I, I talk about Coach Parcells. He taught me about the love of the game and mm. and how to win the game or how you know things, just to, different things you learn from everybody. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's. You know, we talked about Cliff Davis. You're talking about Phil Bennett. You're talking about R.C. Slocum. I remember R.C. Slocum, the first meeting we had when I first met those five, five linebackers or mm-hmm. the four other guys. Yeah. Uh, when we sat down at Kane Hall, the auditorium, the the, the dorm that we stayed in for student athletes at A&M when we first arrived, he goes, look to your left and look to your right. In three years, one of those guys are not going to be here. Mm, kind of a sobering moment reality and it's true you know after my senior year i bet you we had 24 guys 25 guys signed as i said there was about eight there was about left or maybe nine wow. so a third stayed yeah it's about 33 percent. how about that for a lesson on persistence yeah pretty phenomenal you know but wow. but, but commas like that and, and he's talking about coaches in the national football league yeah football football 24 7 Dave Campbell you know when you're talking about a guy that impacted me of a joy of life hey he's Mm. Most outgoing, most fun, enthusiastic man. He's like, hey, I'm doing this because I love it. But guess what? It can always be worse. Absolutely. Today can always be worse. Enjoy what it is and, and love what it is. It's, you, know, you complain about what you're going through or whatever it is. Think it can always be worse. Huge but lesson. stuff like that where and it's so many guys that I encounter or had a chance to um, – that impacted my life through so mm. many, so many ways. Of- That's the essence of why, if you go to atomicmasculinity.com, you'll see this place called the war room. Mm-hmm. That is the essence of why we have the war room because it is a, a, a guy should always be learning. So you learn something from your junior high coach. You mentioned high, high school, school. You college, still learning and now. NFL. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Think about that. You're, but you're open to learn continually as you go through life. Mm-hmm. And I think that men do not understand they are their number one project. Yes. You've got to work got, on always you. Always got to work on you. And, and, and you always, and it was so sometimes so quick to make a judgment and say, oh, I'm not that way. Right. Well, <laughs> hey, let's sit back and say, why is that? Don't, don't just so, just don't close the door or close the book on that what opportunity. Because people change. We change. We adapt. And things things change. And, and I can tell you, I can still learn from people. And I think for me as a 43-year-old male, a father, a husband, uh, I'm still learning. Mm. I'm still growing. Absolutely. And if you're not growing, you're oh, dying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's the essence of the war room. That's yes. why we do it right there. Yeah. So I remember you mentioned that uh, you had a coach and you watched how they treated their wives. I'll tell you a real heartwarming thing that happened to me one time. I'm sitting here clicking along, and this happened maybe – I want to say four or five years ago, a coach, a young coach yes. who, who would, well, I, don't, I mean, he's, he's still reasonably young, but he came up to me one day and this guy has like four kids right now. And I watched him grow in the coaching business and the education world. He's mm-hmm. a very talented 
individual. He comes up to me, and I'm, I'm pumped that he's working with me because he's so talented. <laughs> yes, sir. He comes up to me one day and said, I watched how you treated your wife, and that's kind of been a foundational piece of my own marriage. Mm. I mean, it brought me mm. to tears. Mm. I couldn't believe it mm. because, of course, I watched somebody else. Yes, sir. Isn't that the that's essence the of being mm. a man is passing Pass that it along? Yeah. I, I couldn't believe what an impact that made on me. So let me encourage you, if somebody has impacted you, man, go tell them. It'll be like jet fuel. It'll be like jet fuel. That's that's interesting. So at what point in time, would you say that point in college, is that when you started to become, I guess maybe, I don't want to say detached from your family, but certainly your own man. Man. Was it when you Mm -hmm. went to college? And that's because your parents didn't have a lot of experience in that area where you said, man, I'm by myself. I had to grow, yes. I had to grow pretty quickly. And, um, and I think that really had helped me and, and being known that I was still able to get back home if I needed to. But I was trying to grow as a young man, uh, watching my father, watching the coaches. And, and now you're becoming yourself, the decision mm-hmm. you made. And, and, and on a daily basis, I always tell people, I said, hey, you got choices. There's going to be decisions and there's going to be consequences. Absolutely. And, and that's the three things. If you can learn anything, or your kids can learn anything. I think that's something that they can always carry with themselves. And then. When you think about that, you always got to ask yourself. And, and when I, when things kind of happened so fast for me, at first it was so miserable my first year at A&M. And I was, I want to get out of there. I, I didn't want to be there. I didn't like it. Da, 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 da. Uh, I was really the best student. And, and when I had a chance to play, things changed. And then now you became almost a star overnight mm-hmm. because football was big. And then you're like, okay, how do I handle this? How do I got to be humble? Like, I, I can't say, I know how hard I work to be where I'm at. And I think a lot of that kind of helps me become a better man or better person. Absolutely. Because I knew it wasn't me, but also I knew it was given to me, meaning from I got to be a steward of all this just right. because that it can take away in a split second as I witness God with, with the guy front of me, yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I think that's, <laughs> uh, that's the way it happened and how it happened. And I, and I can tell you, Coach, for the longest, I don't know, maybe my junior and senior year when I really woke up and I said, God, all those thousands of kids that came over from Vietnam, why did you chose why me? me? Why oh, And You're giving me goosebumps yeah. right now. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I can mm. tell you it's just the purpose. And, and the purpose, what's your purpose on life? You know, we, our purpose is to go and be fishy of men. And that's what Jesus said about Simon and Andrew. And, and that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that I... Well, maybe that's why. That's the reason maybe why. Maybe you look down at yeah. your father and said, now there's a man on a mission mm-hmm. who's making a bold action. Watch what I do with his son. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. So it's... But I, it's just... Interesting. I can, yeah. So it, it's always been... When I was in college, I think that's when it really turned. And I realized that, wow, I, you know, you go to church and you pray and... You know, and then you were missing something, and then all of a sudden, that thing clicked mm. when you accepted Jesus Christ, and you're like, "Whoa, this is not my life; it's His life." Right? How many people do I impact? And you know, I'm not the perfect person, and we only knew there's only one perfect human on this this world at one time. And Certainly. Then, yeah. So, but it but something that you always strive for, though, to be good, to be to do the right thing, and that's you know to to do what Jesus would do. You made an interesting pivot. You said the first year was miserable. And then you started to look around later and you said, wow, look where I am. And you had a heart of gratitude. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we teach uh, at Game Changer U is gratitude is the best posture of the heart. Wow. It's the best. For mama. That's my second most influent person. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the best posture yes. of the heart. Yeah. Gratitude creates everything in life that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this athlete who makes a lot of money and he goes back to his community and he gives back, he yes, says. Sir. Why is he doing that? Gratitude. Gratitude. Yes, Gratitude sir. is the genesis of everything that happens that's good. So that's, wow, a, that's a good that's place awesome. to be. Yeah. Good place to be. Wow. So tell me about a challenge that you've had. So uh, <laughs> many. I, have, I mean, yeah, listen, you had a challenge have, all every day. <laughs> you didn't have a challenge to get started. You were only born in a refugee camp. <laughs> and right before that, your pregnant mom was getting shot at by Viet Cong. So yeah. you really haven't had to overcome anything. So what, what about later in life? Mm-hmm. So you overcame the college football deal and uh, the NFL transition was what? Relatively smooth. What challenges have you had in life that you had to buck up and say, look, 
I got to find a way to make something happen here. Or you had to pivot dramatically. Yeah, I think that's, man, I, I think when you have, when you get married and when you have kids, mm. you know, because everything was you. You know, as growing up, as a right. young man, hey, I'm a football star. I'm a football player. Hey, I go work out. I get myself. I prepare myself. And all of a sudden, now you married your sweetheart, and now you got to adjust. It's mm-hmm. not about you. Absolutely. It's about her. And then now you have a child, and it's guess what? It's the child. It's not you. So so I think that's – I don't think it was a struggle, though, Coach, but it was kind of – Definitely a transition. A transition. And I think, I think a lot of people will struggle through it, but for me – it was um, something that really eye-opener. An eye-opener realized that, hey, in, in life, it's not about you. It's about right. others. Yep. And, 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 and now how do you help others? And, and for you to have a chance and, and to do what you do, what's great and, and all that. But at the end of the day, guess what? It's still just a game. It is. And your life and legacy, you're talking about you know, being a core and you're talking about the, the four things. Uh, of of what we want to share with leaving a legacy for a child, for our kids, and for a wife, or for a family, and for a generation to come. Um, I think that might have been the biggest struggle was just realizing, bam, all of a sudden one day, it's not about that win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that that was, I think that's uh, something that maybe I had to overcome. But but you know, physically, and I think that's what's fun to me. I don't think it was a challenge. You know, going out there competing, working out. Uh, overcoming odds, saying, hey, you're not the fastest guy, but how do you get there? I, I think all those uh, allows you – I think that was kind of a a few in the fire for me. So mm-hmm. I don't really look at was – yeah, it was challenging. It was hard. It was difficult. But I thought it was fun. Yeah, that's a key. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a key. Yeah. Anything where you have a challenge in life, oftentimes, if you'll take the inverse approach to it, mm-hmm. it can actually be a catapult Cat-filled, for you. Yeah. Yeah, help you out. <laughs> So it's interesting. So what do you what is your um strategy with the people that you that work for you? Right now you own Chick-fil-A's. Yes. So tell me what happens with the strategy. Well, my strategy is always um really very similar to what you do as a coach. I I I try to give them a vision. Uh I try to teach them as much as I can of what is right. And then the key for me is that now the evaluation part of it. Okay, I got to stop you right there. <laughs> I got to stop you. So this is how he started. He gives them a vision and tells them what's right. So see, that's a biblical concept. Yeah. If When God is telling us to grow as a Christian, he doesn't say, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. He didn't say that. Yes. It's actually the affirmative. affirmative. He Ooh. says in Galatians chapter 5, 16, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you guard against it. You do, but you guard against it by being proactive. Yeah. And so you teach them, you evaluate them, and come back in. Now tell everybody who you hire, because I think this, I love this. What do you mean? The it, people you hire. I mean, oh, you're so, targeting so, oh, a specific so, audience. Yeah. So my my store is right downtown Fort Worth, which is all inner city kids, and uh, I think uh, the first year was very tough, just because uh, even though it's still tough now. But what's cool is that a lot of them have been with me for a long time. I've been there two and a half years now. I think. 45% of the team has been there over almost two years. Oh. So it's pretty pretty awesome. That's pretty that, good stability yeah, for that location. For that it? location. And and it is challenges that they give you some challenges. But, um, you know, we have inner city kids. Some kids uh, don't have parents. Some kids don't have clothes. Some kids don't have much. I mean, and these are the people you're hiring. To, to work for us and to give them a chance in life. And it goes back to me. And I say, hey, I had an opportunity. A kid from immigrant family coming mm. to America got an opportunity to play sports and, and fulfill the dream. And um, that's just what I'm trying to get them to, to realize mm. that, hey, this is not just Chick-fil-A working. Don't clock in and clock out. Mm. Give me a vision. Give me your dreams and let me help cast. And let me let me give you a, a path. Yeah, let me draw awesome. that map for you. And I think that's been the most fulfilling, Coach, is for me. Awesome. Yeah. So so the two years, I think this past year, really, you know, being an A&M grad and hiring a – Baylor grad and now change grad. So, you know, I mean, it had kind of helped. So, a Baylor guy running the sure. store a little bit more, sure. you know. You know so, so, it's kind of, I was just being, being funny with that. Yeah. But, but he has really been the I game think y'all changer. I missed that joke right there. Yeah. So, most Aggies will get it. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but he's been a game changer. He's a sergeant in the, in the Army. 
so he's a sergeant and um so wow. he kind of runs the store as much as he can now and, and we we meet quite a bit but uh we still got to be on on the same page but it's just that, that the challenges that always going to be there but one thing that i said the three things i wanted was uh when i first got the store i said i want i want people to don't feel like hey i have to go to work you never mm. want to say i have to work i put up a sign that said oh i'm i'm thankful that i'll get to work tomorrow mhm yeah you know gratitude. I mean? Yeah, it's gratitude, and, and and you change your heart the way you say it. Oh, I got to work, or I said, oh, I get to go to work, and yep. now it changes your whole mindset when you get to the building. So my whole philosophy was number one is that they love what they do, and I want to enjoy what they do. No, it's not the most glamorous job. You're not gonna smell all good because you're gonna sweat. You smell like chicken. You, sure. you know what I mean? You got to put up with upset customer. But um, I think the overall um great or majority of the things that I get out of those kids is that they do enjoy coming to work and I do some scheduling my schedule uh, coordinator I tell her hey I don't want them ever do back 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 if they mm. do two days they're gonna take a day off right. and, and they work five days they're taking five days five, Fridays off or Saturday off whatever it is so so it makes them more they get refreshed right. and and some people do want to work five or six days a week but when sure. they do that Saturday when they come in, it's half day for them. Right. You know, now they get a day and a half to rest right. and get their mind off, do what they want so to you're do. you're truly stewarding these people. That's all I want to do. That's all I'm supposed to do. Yeah, truly, Kathy, founder, that's what, you know, we're steward of, of what we've given to. And, and I'm very grateful uh, for this opportunity. And, and it's been fun. Like, I, I enjoy it. Like, it makes it fun for me because I can tell you we're in two and a half years and this past month was the best month we ever had wow. overall from from top down scores and because we get certain scores from Chick-fil-A. That's and, awesome. And, and so I posted to him last night. I said, congratulations, great job, da 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 You guys get a bonus, but guess what? We're going to see if you can stack another good one on top of each other right. to be consistent. And That's now right. they got something to work for. So it's kind of makes it fun when you're investing in people, people. and still That's winning. All, yeah, you know, so in the business. it's all about people. And, and Truett Kathy talked about it this too. Say, we're not just in the chicken business, we're in the people business. We're in the people That's business. Right. <laughs> I love that. So I'm going to ask you one tough question. We'll kind of end with this. What's your thought on what's going on with the, uh, you know, I guess the resistance? Um, I would call it an attack on Chick fil A mm-hmm. because it's under attack. You have a value system and people don't like it, so they attack it. For instance, I just read where the Buffalo Airport. Yes. Uh, not going to have Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. One politician wrote in from New York and said, you know, they don't align with our values, this, that, and the other. We're not going to let Chick-fil-A into the airport. And you see it all. The, San Antonio. San Antonio happened, recently. San yes, Antonio. sir. Mm-hmm. What, what is the company and or you doing about that, thinking about that? How do you approach that? You know, what's funny? I think um, it happened um, in 2012. I think when uh, all that stuff went down with Dane Cathy making a remark. Uh, but... You know, one thing that Chick-fil-A does do is that, hey, we can we can only do what we can can do. You know, we can control what we can control. We can't control what people say, what they want. If they do not want to be a partner with us, you know, we, we're not going to do anything to step on the toe or make it worse or expose or to make it more because um, everything's such blown out of proportion. You know, if you make it if you make a point or you go back, right. I think uh, Dane, Kathy, and, and all the executive team will have a meeting and they will iron it out or if they – pursue it or not uh whatever it is it's not going to hurt chick-fil-a as a brand if they're not right. there it's it, you know if you're talking about the airport you're talking about thousands and thousands of people going fly in and out you know in the city it's really hurting the city because at right. the end of the day the city is supposed to make the money they're supposed to make a choice of the best restaurant that brings the best best va- volume and was they get a percentage of that and always we know that mm. chick-fil-a has a great system great great um uh, I think the philosophy, how it has always worked, and what they believe in, but it is it is true it is true that not all Chick Fil A operators are Christian, right? But I think the value of the executive team or the family has always been there. They've been solid. Uh, you know, we pray every time we meet. We pray at conventions. If you if you're not part of it, you still respect that. So I because think you know what you're getting into. Yes. I mean, if you want to be an operator, you, you know what you're getting into. Yeah, and, and I'm telling you, it, it doesn't. They allow you not just financially as as an operator, but golly, they they support you in all different ways. And and I can tell you, I was just here with um, Warren Buffett just spoke here at the Gaylord last week, hmm. 
and Dan Cathy, who's the CEO of Chick-fil-A, that's his son, one of the three kids of a true Cathy, he had a table. And he said, oh, the, his assistant goes, hey, Dad, I think you live in Grapevine, don't you? I goes, yes, I do. <laughs> he goes, hey, I, come on, join me. So I go there, and, you know, they're helping. Uh, it's called, um, what are they called now? I forgot, I'm going blank. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, center for over thousands of women that are battered that are mm. neglected or single mom that's been going through domestic violence so they they built all this with warren buffett and uh you know the guy just gave i don't know six figures dan you know what i mean yeah. no nobody says anything but those tables weren't cheap and he got up and he made it he didn't really make a big deal but right. he went to go help support it but but that's what they believe in, and mm-hmm. that's what they do. And, and I think we're all in the same line. Like, I, I see the same line. I wish I had a chance to meet Chewy Cathy. At, you know, he passed oh, away sure. in 2014. Sure. Uh, I heard, you know, Dr. Smith said, he, I think he spoke at the Grapevine at one time when he was uh, going through here at Dallas-Fort Worth uh, when they were opening the stores mm. in, I think, uh, William B. Tate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he came in and visited with the school. So it's kind of a small world, but, but what they believe in and what they do um, I think they're going to make the right decision, whatever it is, for the store and for the company. And uh, for the attack that's going on, you know, we can't control that. Some people just like to do it. Some people just like, hey, I'm running for office. I just want to make this big deal. Now my name is a splash. Sure. People use it for a wrong reason. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, when you read and you hear stuff like that, I just, you know, the best thing that they always tell us is like, hey, you just can control what you can't control. And, Absolutely. And you can't worry about that. But, you know, obviously we, we were in California. Uh, they were, they had, um, they had a, not a riot, but they had a um, a rally. And uh, there was people mad at, not Chick-fil-A, but then there was the army or something that we stayed at. Right. And then they were protesting. Right. Say, oh, they need raises because we got 4,000 Chick-fil-A people here working. Like, but but it's but it's funny how like yeah. everything that's part of Chick Fil A and you talk about being attacked there I I wouldn't doubt they get attacked all the, time, all the time and we just don't hear all the stories except the big ones that we hear the yeah. last couple of weeks. It's yeah. all about values. They always get attacked. Yes. If you hold the standard Descender, really high, then people just you're going to get attacked. And people can't accept that. They yeah. they just just the envy. I guess yeah. that's the word. Yeah, I, I, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> well, it is a pleasure having you uh, on the podcast. I mean, we're sitting here talking with a guy who's extremely humble, uh, part of the community, uh, operates a business, targets underprivileged inner city kids to pass on a legacy that was passed on to him. Walk through leaving a native country, uh, literally. Uh, a first, well, I'm going to say a one and a half generation immigrant. Immigrant, yes. To to be honest, and uh, this is the kind of person that has made America the greatest country ever. Period. People who get in have a standard, following Judeo Christian ethics, and they do it. They don't just say it. So, it's an honor for for you to be here, and I really appreciate your impact. Thank you, thank you Coach. Enjoy. I had a good time. Thank you very much for having me. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. That yes, win. Sir.